Hi, you're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hey, you guys, welcome back. Today, I am back sharing an awesome interview that you guys are absolutely going to love. And I'm super excited because this is information that I think that people really need to get. And obviously, that's kind of my passion for every episode that I do. But this one is really important because this one is pertaining a lot to metabolic health and metabolic flexibility, which especially despite this current situation of this virus that we have, metabolic health is totally a huge player in how people are responding to recovery. And, and we don't even really mention that in the podcast, we are mentioning metabolic health and being a sugar burner versus being, you know, a fat burner or having a flexible metabolism. We mentioned that more in the aspect of hormone control and weight loss, but with this current pandemic and everything, we do know that metabolic health is, is a huge thing. And there are so many people that are coming to me, working with me that, that have some things that they can work on in terms of metabolic health. And so if you're listening to this, this is definitely going to be one where you're going to maybe want to take notes, maybe try some self experimentation with some things that we talk about on how to improve. But this is just such a great episode that I know you guys are going to love. If you want to get some more information out of this podcast, I have a whole lecture in my online hormone course all about metabolic health. I did a podcast episode on it. I believe it is episode 12. Um, and you can also connect and follow my guest today, which is Danielle Hamilton. She's a nutrition, nutritional therapy practitioner, and she is such a wealth of knowledge, especially when it comes to metabolism, um, being really flexible with your metabolism and being in better metabolic health because she um, has reversed her PCOS, which is very cool. Um, so we do talk a little bit about PCOS, what that is, and um, how metabolic health and insulin resistance so is rooted in that type of diagnosis. We talk about that diagnosis, what PCOS means, how so many times it's kind of just a diagnosis of exclusion where you really don't have to fit very strict criteria. Whereas if you kind of are in the ballpark, you can be diagnosed with it. So many people are just being pushed the birth control pill for their PCOS. Um, but if you are a male listener and you want to learn more about metabolic health, don't worry, we don't just talk solely about PCOS. We do talk about that in the beginning because that was such a big part of her journey. But in the context of if you do feel like there's some type of insulin resistance that you are experiencing, if you're a male listener and you obviously don't have PCOS, um, it's still worth a listen because we talk about really easy diet and lifestyle ways that you can be able to to implement, to be able to create that, uh, flexible metabolism that honestly we all should be striving for. Um, you know, we do mention keto and whatnot, and I don't think it's necessarily like if you are diagnosed with something where you have insulin resistance, you need to do keto for the rest of your life. I think going in and out of being able to produce your own ketones, but then being able to eat carbs, process them, whatnot, and then being able to go back and forth. That's, that's what we mean when we say metabolic flexibility. And we'll talk more about that, but that's, I think, something that we need to be doing on a daily basis because when I'm not eating, I know that I'm, my body's producing ketones because I'm running off of ketones for energy, but I also feel really good. And then when I eat, I'm able to utilize the carbs, whether they go to my muscle, 
to replenish muscle, muscle glycogen after a workout or lift, or they are stored as muscle in the muscle or liver and to be used for further things. And then when I'm fasting, my body's producing ketones and it's going back and forth. So I don't go through these crazy blood sugar swings. And this was such a good episode because, um, I never was diagnosed with PCOS, but post pill, when I came off birth control, I 185 billion percent think that I had post pill PCOS, which, um, is very, very common because the communication between your brain and your ovaries is shut off with birth control. So, um, it is very common to experience kind of like PCOS like symptoms after the pill. But the good news is, is diet and lifestyle play an incredible role in being able to reverse it. And that's what we talk all about in today's episode. Danielle's a wealth of knowledge. You guys should definitely connect with her. Check out her information, especially if this is stuff you want to learn more about. Um, and without further ado, I want to get into today's interview. You guys are going to love it. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a great guest for you guys today. Danny, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So, um, I, we've connected on Instagram and, you know, I love all that you post about, you post so much about like fasting and like blood glucose and ketones and how you reversed your PCOS, which is amazing. So can you talk a little bit about PCOS, um, and, and when you were diagnosed with that and kind of what that journey was like for you? Sure. So, um, my story kind of began when I was a kid, I grew up pretty, pretty sickly, just had eczema. And, and then when I was in, I got lots of colds and was always sick, strep throat, lots of antibiotics and things like that. And then fast track to college and grad school, I started getting really bad allergies and asthma and, and sinus infections. And I was, you know, taking more antibiotics and on all these prescriptions and nothing was getting better. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like I'm, in my, you know, I'm 23, like I shouldn't be this sick and no doctor had an answer for me. And so I got really intrigued with nutrition. I heard about the paleo diet. And so I started doing the paleo diet and everything went away. It was like a miracle. And so, I mean, I didn't, I had got off all my five allergy medications. I got to get off all my inhalers. I stopped giving myself allergy shots. It was amazing. But then I had a really stressful year in 2013 and I was still eating really healthy paleo food, but all of a sudden I started gaining weight and I started having acne and then I didn't get a period for six months. And I was kind of like, what the heck is going on? And so I did um, at that time get like a, an adrenal, uh, a salivary cortisol test, and I was just low in cortisol all over the place. I was just feeling really tired and run down. But after I kind of got my energy back, I was still gaining weight. And I just was like, what the heck is going on? Like, I, I've never gained weight like this, even though it's been a little bit of a struggle my whole life. And my acne was bad as a teenager, but now it was worse in my mid twenties. It's like, this is a cruel joke. What's happening? Oh yeah. And like, you, you think you're doing things right because you're eating all real food. And as it turns out, I had a pretty big sweet tooth and that sweet tooth just transformed from eating processed carbs to eating honey and acai bowls and smoothies and sweet potatoes and plantain chips and kombucha. And I just took my sugar addiction and just transported it into a, now it just was, you know, healthier carbs, but I was still definitely heavy into the carbs. So finally I got, I went to a doctor and I was like, 
I'm really struggling. I think I have PCOS. I haven't gotten my period. I can't lose weight no matter what I do. Like what's going on? So he's like, you do have PCOS. You have to take the birth control pill and there's no cure. And I was like, what? I'm like, get out of here. No cure. Like, no, nope. Won't accept that. (laughs) So that was 2014. And it took me a while. Like I just kind of kept paleoing harder because I just believe in real food. And so I was just like, let me just keep trying. (laughs) And so a message out there for people who are, you know, believe in something and just, you know, feel that it's going to work, but they keep trying it over and over again. You have to change something. You have to change, tweak, you know, do something different. (laughs) So take my mistake and learn from it. (laughs) So you're not suffering so long. So I, I kept, you know, eating paleo, paleoing harder. Eventually I did go on metformin and spironolactone. Those are common PCOS drugs. So maybe I should back up. PCOS is um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it is just essentially a collection of symptoms that they really don't know much about it. And so you might have missing or absent or delayed periods, what you really have is no ovulation. So even if you're on the pill, you can get, you can bleed, but you are potentially not ovulating and that is leading to this PCOS. And then you might have acne, you might have hair growth on your face or hair loss from your head. Luckily, I didn't have any of those hair symptoms, which I was so thankful for because I know how devastating it is to like wear your issues, you know, and especially, you know, as women, we, we, uh, many of us just, you know, we don't want hair growth, you know, or go to go bald. I mean, or like having thinning hair, it's very hard on our self-esteem and my heart goes out to women who are struggling with that, but I'm going to get to the the positive spin (laughs) in a second here. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I started to take those medications. Metformin actually helps you to kind of not absorb so much sugar. And so it can help to improve your blood sugar. And I should have known from that, that because the metformin was helping me a little that I had issues with my blood sugar, but I literally had no idea. It was an area that I never looked into. I'm like, I don't have blood sugar problems. I don't have diabetes. So I don't have blood sugar problems. Did they test your insulin? No, no, they didn't. No, they only gave me an ultrasound. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was about it. And then he said I had PCOS based on my symptoms. Um, so (laughs) yeah, lots of head shaking here, like (laughs) eye rolling head shaking for sure. Um, so yeah. So then the other thing I took was spironolactone and that was helping my acne, but that kind of acted like a water pill, which is funny because both of those things will go on to mimic like what the keto diet does. And so yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. So then I stopped taking the medications because I felt like I got into a pretty good place, didn't want to be on them anymore, and was just kind of doing what I was doing, not um, kind of staying the same. And then I heard a podcast and it was Megan Ramos on Dr. Fung's podcast. And she said that PCOS is the diabetes of the ovaries. And I was driving at the time and I nearly crashed my car because I'm like, what? Like what? Blood sugar? Me? What? Like seriously, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about blood sugar symptoms at all, except I didn't have a diagnosis of diabetes. That was pretty much it. And so all of a sudden everything changed. And I realized that 
the root of my PCOS was actually insulin resistance. And I was like, I did not even know that I had this, that it was going on. And for most women, the root of their PCOS is insulin resistance. Some people, they say there's like, it comes from the ovaries. Some people, it's more of like an adrenal component. But I still think that we know that blood sugar dysregulation really negatively impacts the adrenals. And when the adrenals are low or misfunctioning, then you're also going to have blood sugar issues. So it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation. Yeah. What comes first? It's, we don't know. Exactly. And so we think the, I always say that without even needing to know the root cause, I mean, like without even needing to know your specific, let's say potential reason, just try to reverse your insulin resistance and see what happens because chances are your PCOS is going to go with it. And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And so with insulin resistance, it's something that's kind of tricky to understand because you don't feel it. It's like, what even, what does that even mean? So here's my best way of kind of breaking it down. So when we eat any kind of carbohydrate, or even sometimes if we have like too much lean protein without anything else, we are going to have our blood sugar is going to go up. So that means just the sugar in our blood is increasing. Blood sugar, I call it blood sugar, but it's also called blood glucose. Those terms are pretty much interchangeable. So when the blood sugar is going up, the pancreas senses this and will release a hormone called insulin. And remember, just keep in mind, all hormones affect all other hormones. So if we're increasing our insulin, it's going to impact other hormones. And that's that that kind of trickle down effect where this insulin can, it's like, I was looking at my testosterone and elevated androgens and my progesterone when I had PCOS, because that's what they tell you is off. But I didn't realize that at the root of that was the insulin. And so when you hit that root cause, it can all go away. So the blood sugar goes up. Now insulin is going up. And when insulin is in the body, what it does is it takes the sugar out of the blood and it, it's like a little key and it opens up the cells of the body to put the glucose in. And we need glucose in our body sometimes for fuel. And so the muscles, we'll put it in the muscles for fuel, or we can store it in the liver as glycogen for later as like kind of backup fuel. And so this is a normal process that goes on. It's not bad that this is happening, but what's bad about it is that when it goes on for too long. And so if we're eating foods that are causing our insulin to be very elevated, it will start to kind of stay elevated. And what happens is, is that our bodies develop resistance to it almost right away. And so resistance, I kind of explain as like, let's say you're listening to your headphones and there's like background noise and you turn up the volume a little bit and you're like, you're driving and then you're like, oh, let me just turn up the volume a little bit more. And then someone says something, you're like, what? And so you pause your headphones and then you press play again. It's like, oh, that was so loud (laughs) because we had developed resistance to that volume right away. It happens really fast. Same thing like a tag on your shirt. You put a shirt on, the tag's like bothering you and you're like, oh, it's so itchy. But then like a few minutes later, it it goes away. So we, as our bodies very quickly develop resistance. And that means the insulin is like knocking at the door being like, Hey, I got some sugar for you. And the body's like, you were just here. Like, (laughs) 
I, no, we're all filled up. <laughs> and so it keeps us in this state of high insulin. And when the body is in, has high insulin levels, then the body is in a fat storage mode. It's going to store things. It's going to store the sugar. It's going to store excess fat in the blood. And that's when we're in this storage mode. That's why when I had PCOS, I couldn't lose weight. It is like the biggest hallmark for me is this weight loss resistance and how many people out there are struggling with this. It really, really could be insulin. And that's a huge reason. And so doctors will tell you, lose weight and that will improve your insulin and your diabetes. It's like, no, 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 you have it the wrong way around. You mm -hmm. need to improve your insulin sensitivity so that you, you can, can lose be weight. Yeah. So you can be out of this fat burning mode. Yeah. And only when these insulin levels come down, can your body start to burn fat for fuel. So, so many of us are stuck in this like sugar. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. No worries. Didn't realize. <laughs> Didn't realize I had my phone on ring. I like since like 1995, I, know. <laughs> I haven't had my phone on a ring. I don't know what happened. So so anyway, so people are very stuck in this sugar burning mode, right? They're, they cannot access their body fat to burn. And so they are stuck depending on sugar, carbs, caffeine to kind of power them through. Yeah. And so that's a huge issue, this metabolic flexibility. So I'll, I'll take a breath and <laughs> let you. Did you kind of feel, did you feel like when you had your PCOS that you like, you had to be eating every few hours, like you had these carb cravings? Cause this is what I hear. And well, one thing that you had said, like, okay, oh, you have insulin resistance, just lose weight. I see this all the time with fitness community people. It's like, insulin's not why you're not losing weight. Hormones are not why you're not losing weight. And I'm like, you literally have yes, no idea are. how the body works. You literally have no idea. And it's so infuriating being on the other end being like, hit these macros and you'll lose the weight. And then, then they're like, their clients aren't losing weight because they're insulin resistant and they have issues with their hormones. And they're like, well, you're just not trying hard enough. And I'm like, I literally want to shake you. I literally want to shake you. You don't understand how human physiology actually works. Right. And thankfully you and I both do. And that's yeah. why we're sharing this message. But it just yeah. like fires me up so much. Like my blood, like I, I think my body temperature like, is rising as we're speaking. Like <laughs> I feel you. I know it's so hard when you have that message. And because the, why you're so mad is because people are suffering. People can't find answers and they're looking to like these Instagram gurus for their answers and they're trying this, they're trying that, and they're not seeing results. Yeah. And that is a huge that's a huge problem. So we can get into that, but I did want to answer your question about like, how did I sugar feel? Burner? Yeah. <laughs> so when I was a sugar burner, um, this is when I really didn't have access to burning fat very well or my own body fat for fuel. And so I, like when I had PCOS, I said, I, I don't have any symptoms of blood sugar things. Right. But first of all, I didn't know what those were. Now that I know what they are, I'm like, Oh, that's what that was. <laughs> so when I would wake up, I would have to eat right away or else I wouldn't feel well. I didn't, I just thought, you know, oh, I'm a breakfast person. That's all right. But I didn't, I had to eat right away because I couldn't not. And then after sometimes after I had my coffee, I would start shaking and be like, oh, this is from, I'm shaking from the caffeine. And then I got a blood sugar meter and tested 
and I was at 60. So the, the normal range for blood sugar regulation generally is like 70 to 85 is a good number for fasting. A lot of times people with uh, blood sugar dysregulation, especially reactive hypoglycemia, which I can go into in a minute, is they start to feel these blood sugar low symptoms, sometimes in the 80s, 90s, or even hundreds, because their body is so inefficient at burning fat for fuel that the body is sending all these warning signals like you have to eat, you have to eat, you have to eat, because if not, we're going to crash. And so when the goal of like eating, of changing your metabolism to a fat burning metabolism is so you can burn both glucose and fat for fuel. And then if you don't have the glucose, you could just burn your own body fat. It's no big deal. It doesn't, it's not stressful for the body to do that. What is stressful for the body is when you are only a sugar burner and your sugar is dropping and you don't have a chance to eat something that you all of a sudden what will happen is your heart will start pounding. And a lot of people get this in the middle of the night. They'll wake up and they're like, oh my God, I'm having an anxiety attack. Like you're not probably not having an anxiety attack because you were just sleeping and calm. What it is, is your blood sugar went down so low that your adrenals had to step in and in an emergency pump out all these stress hormones like epinephrine, which is adrenaline. And now your heart is pounding like crazy. You think you're having an anxiety attack, but it was really a blood sugar crash in the middle of the night, which is crazy. Totally so, happens all the time too. Like, especially if people wake up in the middle of the night, some yeah. people, people are like, Oh, I wake up at midnight. I wake up at one. I wake up at whatever. And I'm like, those are blood sugar swings. Cause like, even if it's not on like a panic attack level, like yeah. the adrenals are still waking people up. So like, ideally you shouldn't really be waking up at all. In, yeah. a, in a perfect world. But like, if you are waking up and you have these other symptoms that you're talking about, it might be a good idea to potentially address insulin. And, and even like, it doesn't even need to be to sometimes to the extreme points is that like, I see it so many times where it's so subclinical, but it's not optimal. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you see that too. And, um, like, you know, well in the, in the health and fitness world, we're told to eat every two to three hours. Cause that's what stokes your metabolism air quotes, stokes your metabolism. Not true. So many people, unfortunately, aren't able to get that metabolic flexibility that you're talking about. Like they, like when you eat a carb, you should be able to burn it, utilize it, go, it goes to your muscle, whatever. But then when you're not eating, you can tap into your fat stores. Like that's that flexibility that most people don't have. Like if you can't fast, I don't know. I don't even know what the proper hour would be. Like if you can't, if you can't not snack in between meals, you know, like if you eat say three meals, you know, some days I only eat two. Like today I had a really big breakfast and I won't eat again until later because my day is packed. But the best part is, is I'm metabolically flexible, whereas I'm not eating lunch because I've got patients. So I just burn my body fat and then mm-hmm. I eat dinner Yeah, and then I'm fine. Exactly. Um, it's, it's that work that you really have to be able to do. And, and I'm not necessarily keto all the time. I, I eat carbs and, and I know that you do too. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that this is something that's so missing and so many people who are struggling to lose weight, who who have acne, who have hormone issues, because you can, you can't help your progesterone. You can't help your testosterone. You can't help your estrogen. If you're not focusing on that big hormone insulin, it's so important. And we're, we're impacting it with every bite that we take. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what you, the steps that you took to help reverse your PCOS and help 
to do the hard work to create that metabolic flexibility that you now have? Sure. Yeah. Um, right before that, I did forget um, this one thing that I think is important that was kind of addressing what you were talking about before with like the symptoms, not being able to go throughout the meals, yeah. uh, like long between meals without yep. eating. So one of the things that I noticed was that I didn't usually have these blood sugar crashes, even though I had this reactive hypoglycemia and some people, so some of the symptoms that your blood sugar is crashing, it could be like anxiety, irritability, you feel weak, shaky, dizzy, lightheaded, nauseous, heart palpitations, hangry, hangry (laughs) for sure. Those kind of symptoms, those are symptoms that your blood sugar is dropping and that you are not really easily able to burn your body fat. So you shouldn't have, and headaches, if I didn't say headaches, that's one mm-hmm. of them. So if, if that happens to you, if you're like, oh, every day before lunch, I kind of get a headache. You shouldn't be getting a headache every day. And so that is a sign that you'll want to work on your blood glucose. The other thing is that some people might do what I did. I didn't really have those symptoms because I intuitively was a snacker or I used to eat little meals. And I was like, oh, I just... And someone like, and it was like healthy snacks all the time, you know, like I always had a granola bar in my purse or like I used to have to eat before I went out to eat. And I was like, why am I like this? I'd be eating. I'm like, hold on. I just need to eat something. Like, why am I like this? They're like, we're walking out the door to go eat. I'm like, but I just need something because I knew that I was always afraid of being hungry and it wasn't hunger that I was fearing. It was the blood sugar crash. So that's you. If that resonates, then, you know, if you're like, oh, I don't have those symptoms, but you eat often, try not eating often, try cutting out the snacks and seeing how you feel. And that will be really telling. So that's now it's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just because like, I, I think I had post pill PCOS. I never had it diagnosed, but like okay. in chiropractic school, when I went off the pill, like I was eating, I mean, every few hours and I was like, well, I'm so active. I'm just going to burn it anyways, which I'm sure I was, but like, I, I, I wasn't able to ever tap into my own body. And like, I didn't know what it felt like to actually like legitimately be real hungry, which I really don't ever feel that now. And I eat less frequently. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's it's just like, we're so in this perfect world where we have food whenever we want it. We're so privileged where like, we can eat before we go out to eat. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Whereas like our ancestors never did that. It's like, okay, we had a kill, we eat. We don't know when our next meal is. And I'm not saying that we need to like go out and fend for ourselves, but like, I think that we need to kind of tap into that where it's not, we shouldn't be eating 24 seven. That's not how our genes evolved. And that's not how we evolved to be here. You know, there was feast and there was famine and and you can have both of those in the same day. When I eat, I eat, but when Mm -hmm. I don't eat, I don't eat. And like, it's a feast famine on a daily basis. And no grazing. We're not cows. We're not cows. (laughs) We're not cows. No, we're grazing. Yeah, exactly. That was so hard for me to break up with grazing. I'm like, Oh my God, like this is just I'm going to lose all my muscle mass. I'm going to lose all my gains. I'm going to lose all my strength. That is not true. Yeah. Not Some true. of the best workouts I've ever had, like PRs and everything have been like fasted workouts Same. and like in ketosis, like you, you get real strong. So, you know, especially after fasting, you get that boost in human growth hormones. So yep. lots of benefits there. So totally. yeah. So hunger feels really different when 
you are a fat burner versus a sugar burner, or I should say metabolically flexible versus a sugar burner. Um, and so hunger feels really different now. Hunger is just like, Oh, what time is, Oh, I could eat. Like, I'm never like, Oh my gosh, I just have to eat something. Like we all know those people. We can pick them out. Who's like, Oh, we know when this person's hungry, like, Oh, watch out. They're hungry. That person needs to work on their blood sugar. And then that won't happen to them. That's not who they are. That's a symptom of what's going on inside. So what I did to get better was, like I said, I was still paleo. So that means I was eating like meat, fish, um, healthy fats, like butter, olive oil, coconut oil. And I was eating fruits, nuts, and seeds. And eggs and that's pretty much it. And then what I did was I just cut out all the higher carb foods and that was my keto diet. So I went into ketosis on purpose. At first I started to do all the things with like fat bombs and have stevia and things. And I was realizing that my sugar addictive tendencies were just transferring once again, changing form into like, now I come home and all I can think about are the fat bombs and like, oh, how many can I have? No, that for me, cut those out. Like you don't have to do fat bombs. And I really recommend that if you are someone who thinks about sugar, that you take out all sugars to start with, even stevia, even monk fruit, even any of that stuff, because it keeps your palate wanting sweet. And if you're anyone like me who has a sugar dragon calling the shots, we want that sugar dragon to be in hibernation. We want him to not be telling us what to do and being like, oh, you can just have one more. One more is not going to hurt. Like, no sugar dragon, like stop telling me what to do. So now my sugar dragon is really, he's for sure hibernating and that's a wonderful feeling. So I made sure to have lots of healthy fats at each meal. I kind of Think about having like three to four fats per meal and then having a a fattier cut of whatever protein I'm having. So I personally was sensitive to eggs when I first started keto. So I didn't have eggs, but eggs are a great choice. Having like, for example, a meal with like three to four eggs, have some avocado, throw some extra butter on there. Like literally that's a meal. You can throw some vegetables on there as well. A few slices of tomato, whatever you feel like. Um, And then, yeah, just keep sticking with that like meat, fat and vegetable kind of series that works really, really well. And just not, so when we talk about like having fat at a meal, that doesn't mean like put a teaspoon of fat in the pan and you have ground beef and that's it. Like you need a little more fat than that to get started. And there's, you know, that people do different ratios and there's all different schools of thought. There's all different ways to get into ketosis, calculate your macros, but just as an easy, just to eyeball it, just doing a a fattier piece of meat and then some extra fats. So like getting some nuts or avocado or like I use butter on everything. I use it now kind of like it's frosting because I've just been on this butter kick lately (laughs) and it's so good. So, um, yeah, I, I did that. And I also am a nutritional therapist. So I did a lot of internal healing on some areas that were causing inflammation. And so things like my digestion, I didn't have enough stomach acid. I wasn't like really breaking foods down. So I had a lot of food sensitivities. And like now I've regained my ability to tolerate dairy, which is amazing because dairy is like 
like raw milk is like the best so thing good. that ever happened to me. So <laughs> and, good. Yeah. And, um, you know, but dairy is a really common one that women with PCOS should definitely avoid at first. And mm-hmm. so, you know, these things, a lot of people are like, don't cut out whole food groups. Well, if the whole food group is going to be irritating you and is going to be causing you inflammation and doesn't do you any like nutritional benefit, then yeah, cut it out for some time to see how you do without it. It doesn't mean that it's a permanent thing forever. Like I even, I cut out dairy and um, mm -hmm. a few other things like gluten and stuff like that when I was coming off the pill and probably had post pill PCOS, but, but I don't cut it out. Like I have raw milk. Mm-hmm. very frequently and like butter and all that kind of stuff. And it yeah. doesn't bother me now. Yeah. Gluten is something that I just personally do hundred percent all the time, gluten free. Yeah. And one of the main things that I definitely have to bring up is vegetable oils yep. because vegetable oils, and I'm not talking olive oil. I'm not actually talking about oils made from vegetables. I don't know who named them. It wasn't me. <laughs> so don't blame me. It was a um, marketing tactic because vegetable oil sounds healthy, right? It sounds totally. like, oh, I'm doing something good because this is made from vegetables. Right. And so the vegetable oils, there's like eight main ones, but um, three of them start with C and three of them start with S. So it's a little bit easier to kind of understand to remember them. And those are the most common ones, those six. So I'll tell you those now. There's canola, terrible, soybean. Well, let me do the C's. Sorry, let me go in order for those people (laughs) whose minds work like mine. So there's canola, corn, and- Cottonseed. Cottonseed, thank you. And then soybean, safflower, and sunflower. There's also rice bran and grapeseed oil. Those are also um, vegetable oils. And all of those oils, are highly refined, bleached, deodorized, degummed, there's hexanes. And like the problem with them is that they are, even though canola says like, oh, it's anti-inflammatory, has omega-3s, they're so damaged. These fats are so, so damaged. They totally wreck your metabolism. They prevent you from burning your own body fat. Your body fat then becomes toxic when it incorporates these fats. And it completely messes with your fat burnability, your hunger, all this stuff that we're talking about. And it, they directly cause insulin resistance. Yep. And so a lot of people will say um, vegetable oils are the only thing that cause insulin resistance. And that's important that they do cause it. We want to get them out. They're in everything. They're in tons of packaged and processed foods, like always read your labels, but also when you go out to eat, that's what these restaurants are cooking in, which is so annoying because I always, I'll go to a restaurant and come back. And I used to think I got glutened, but it's not the gluten, it's the vegetable oil. And I just, I just don't feel well. I have no energy. My stomach feels off. I never get stomach aches. It's the vegetable oils. I know. Another thing that I truly feel from the bottom of my heart is that i cut out vegetable oils when I was paleo and I still had insulin resistance. So carbs are still playing a role. They still, no matter what, I don't care how you slice it, they're playing a role. And so I heard in uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan's book, she said that the carbs will exacerbate and like speed up the insulin resistance. So that's another way of kind of looking at it. And plus I did have those vegetable oils in my past, like growing up, my mom used canola oil. And so, you know, it was probably still in my body fat at that time. And so, um, you know, just the carbs and the vegetable oils are the main things you want to think about. 
And then, um, you know, going back to healing digestion, improving different nutritional deficiencies. So a lot of times people who have um, insulin resistance, blood sugar issues, they are really deficient in a lot of minerals because and vitamins because especially refined sugar will deplete them because you need, in order to process the glucose, you need nutrients to be able to do that process. So for example, you need something like 45 molecules of, of magnesium to process one molecule of glucose. And so some of these real food carbohydrates come already prepackaged with the magnesium, the zinc, the chromium, the B vitamins that you need to process those carbs. So that's why if you are going to eat carbohydrates, you always want to eat them in their whole real form because they come with those nutrients. But sugar is sugar is sugar. So if you have trouble with blood sugar, it's best to cut them all out to begin with. But the refined carbs, they don't only jack up your blood sugar and your insulin, they also steal your nutrients. And so you're very nutritionally deprived. And so getting in all these real foods and bone broths and uh, organ meats like liver, they're really, really nutrient powerhouses and can kind of put us back online. And yeah. also we might need to supplement with magnesium. It's just a classic one that I see people needing to supplement with. And especially on a low carbohydrate diet where we tend to lose minerals because the carbohydrate, the hydrate part, it keeps us holding onto water weight, which is something that now that I ha um, don't have PCOS anymore and, and fixed my hormones, I don't have PMS. I don't have like water retention or bloating before my period, I used to, I was like huge. I, I would just like blow up like the Michelin man overnight the day before my period. I'm like, what is happening? Like I was a whole bra size different. I'm like, what's going on? That's from the carbohydrate, from the insulin resistance. And, um, when you take out those carbs, the water, it's kind of like a diuretic. And so that's why you'll hear with keto, you need to really replace your electrolytes. And so getting an electrolyte solution, having a lot of high quality salt is also really important for insulin resistance. So we're talking like Redmond's real salt, Himalayan salt, Celtic sea salt, not these iodized versions that are have anti-caking agents, but a lot of people get their iodine from salt. So I really like, um, there's this uh, seasoning called sea seasonings and it's kelp. And so that's like a natural food version of getting in some good iodine. It has like so much iodine in it. You just sprinkle it on your food when you're cooking it. You don't even taste it. Easy source to kind of replace that. So just bringing that to mind because iodine could be a reason, um, you know, it's important for thyroid health, as I'm sure your listeners know. Um, it's important for hair growth. Yeah. So you definitely want to up that iodine. And then the other thing, yeah, I was talking about having electrolytes. That's super, super important for especially anyone going through like wanting to get off carbohydrates at first and, you know, wanting to go through keto, a lot of keto flu is really just an imbalance of electrolytes. So getting your electrolytes are sodium, chloride, sulfate, magnesium, calcium, and potassium. And so there are electrolyte solutions that have a lot of these getting extra, extra salt, like you'll need it. <laughs> and it just, that can give you the energy that you're looking for. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like, um, I have these concentrates, trace mineral drops that I'll use sometimes I do those too. too. Um, especially like, I mean, I, I'm not even full keto all the time, but like if I'm sweating in the sauna or if I'm sweating from workout or sweating in general, like you're losing so many electrolytes and I've 
I probably am more low carb in general. So just mm-hmm. making sure that I support my body in those ways, like you really, you really do notice a big difference. So that totally. was an awesome, awesome tip. Um, yeah. This was like an information overload. Seriously, <laughs> this is going to help so many people. And like, whether you're a female who thinks to have PCOS, or maybe you're a male listening and you are a sugar burner, this is a really good place to start to be like, okay, I'm having issues with weight. I am irritable, or you have any of these symptoms. Like, this is a really good place to start. So, if you were to kind of like give the listener three tips on like boil all the stuff down, where would you start? Like, if people are just kind of trying to make this switch to fat adapted or metabolic flexibility from a sugar burner where what were what would those three things be sure so that's a great question um first i'd have to say get out the vegetable oils start reading labels start paying attention to how many carbohydrates you're actually eating and then i would say to as you're able to because some people aren't able to right away because they are such sugar dependent um, you know, they're, they have reactive hypoglycemia and their blood sugar is crashing all the time. So if that doesn't sound like you and you're like, okay, I can try to push myself a little bit, cut out the snacks and then start with a little bit of time restricted eating. So this, another way of saying like intermittent fasting. So maybe you wake up, you have breakfast and then, um, you have a really early dinner and see if you can you know, start to just push the dinner window a little bit up. And a lot of people who do intermittent fasting talk about getting rid of breakfast, but I find that, first of all, I find that some people just go either way. So if you're like, I'm not a breakfast person anyway, I like to eat dinner with my family. Okay, so push your breakfast back, yep. that's totally fine. But in terms of circadian rhythm and when we like in, in sync with more of our cortisol patterns, I personally tend towards eating in the morning and the afternoon and then stop eating at night. That will help your sleep as well. And so you're going to start just taking your dinner and just pushing it a little bit earlier by like a half an hour every day and see how you, how you do with that. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I don't need to eat as often. And yeah. And so the getting out the vegetable oils that, and then the other thing is, Hmm. I really want to make it count. Um, the I would say that there's lifestyle factors that also are affecting your your ability to be healthy and have a diet actually work for you. So whether that is improving your digestion, sitting down when you eat, taking some deep breaths, getting into parasympathetic, chewing your food 20 to 30 times per bite. Like our stomach doesn't have teeth. We need to extract these nutrients. It's not going to be able to extract the nutrients from a whole bite of steak, you have to chew your food. Note to self as well, because this is something I always forget. Me too. So, <laughs> right? And then um, other lifestyle factors, getting sun exposure in the morning, going for walks, even right after your meal. That's a yeah. good hack to keep the blood sugar you know, more balanced. Um, doing like a, a night routine, winding yourself down, focusing on sleep. And then of course, exercise and movement, the more like the less we use our muscles, the more insulin resistant they come almost become almost immediately. So if you're someone who like is always sitting your legs, your leg muscles might be very insulin resistant. And so when you work out and this has a lot to do to get the insulin sensitivity back, it really has a lot to do with your, the intensity of the workout. So And that doesn't mean that you need to do these like Metcons and cardio, like, you know, till you're dead on the floor, but like working your muscles to exhaustion. So I love weightlifting 
for insulin resistance. It's totally. amazing. And then either HIT or rest-based interval training, depending on where your adrenals are at. Yep. And so um, the rest-based would just be like, instead of waiting 20 seconds between a set, wait three to five minutes until your heart rate comes down. So you're getting that work, you're doing that burst of stress, but then we're taking the stress off the body being like, don't worry, we're fine. Yeah, we're <laughs> because, good. Yeah, we're good. yeah, no need to freak out. <laughs> and so, you know, you can still work out if your adrenals are not like, tip top shape, but you want to do specific things like working out or the rest space. So totally. all of those things, like it's a full body approach. It's totally. not just change your macros. Right. So that's really what I want people to come home with. Totally. And I love that you make that point about working out because the, like I've seen, I've read people CGMs and like their cortisol, like they might not even be eating, but when their cortisol goes up, their insulin is up. And I'm like, what happened here? And they're like, Oh, I was really stressed at work or oh, my wife really pissed me off or, oh, like I just finished a workout and I was like, okay, well, those are all things that create stress that will raise your blood sugar. So that's why like fasting, everything is kind of like that Goldilocks. Like if I fast too long, my cortisol will eventually make an insulin spike or your coffee in the morning. That's why I like Mm -hmm. bulletproof coffee because it creates more stability in your blood sugar. But like uh, caffeine spiker working out like it, it, it's really important to just be mindful of all these things because cortisol and, and insulin really are so at the root of so many of these things. So that yeah, was such exactly. a great tip. And I also love that you mentioned that having your eating window kind of going with like, we're eating when it's light out and we're also finishing eating somewhat when it's light out, it gets, it gets dark at like four thirty-five. <laughs> so I try to be done at five, but it's, it's nice to be in that window, but if you're someone who, you know, you guys don't eat dinner until seven, eight o'clock at night, that's okay. But it, I think from the research I have seen that like when you eat like sunrise to sunset, that is more beneficial to your circadian rhythm, but yeah, nice part about it is you can make it flexible. Right. And when we are sleeping, I mean, if you're like, I could go either way, like just another point to kind of nudge you toward the earlier is that, um, when we are sleeping, we're supposed to be detoxing, not digesting. And I know that I have this sleep tracker ring that's called an aura ring and it gets so like mad at me when I eat, eat close to bed. And it always knows, like it always, it calls me out. It's like, did you eat too late? I'm like, how do you know? Like, because my heart rate variability is low and my heart rate is up indicating that I'm digesting and like, it's a stressful process. And then, and then I'm not getting the rest I need. And so, you know, sleep is another huge one. If you don't get enough sleep, you're going to be more insulin resistant the next day. You ever not get a good sleep. And then the next day, all you want are like carbs and caffeine. And so that this is that in play. And so fixing your blood sugar is going to improve your sleep. And then the sleep is going to improve your blood sugar. So that could be a negative vicious spiral, or you could spiral yourself back to health by focusing on those things. So that's also important as well. Totally. Totally. Well, I am definitely going to have to have you back on the show because this is amazing. I love, I always love our conversations. Yeah, Um, me too. So can you tell the listeners where they can find you and how they can connect with you? 
Sure. So I'm most active on Instagram and my handle is Danielle Hamilton Health. And I also have a podcast, which is why I tend to monologue a little bit. I'm so sorry. No, it was um, great. It was okay. excellent. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, my podcast is called Unlock the Sugar Shackles. And you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, that's those are the places I hang out. And then I'm also at Danielle Hamilton Health. Like that's my website, my Facebook, if you're looking for more info as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. It was such a pleasure having you on. We are definitely going to have to have you back on to just talk about all things because there are so many different rabbit holes we could have taken. And oh yeah, I definitely, instead of making this like three hours, we'll just, yeah. we'll just split it up into like a bunch of mini ones so that people can take the information, start using it. And then they'll come back for more um, because this was awesome. Well, I'm thank down. you <laughs> so much. I so appreciate your time. Sure. Thanks for having me. Bye. Okay, you guys, I told you that that was going to be an amazing episode, and I hope that you learned a bunch, and I hope that you're able to take this information and really be able to use it to to put yourself back in the driver's seat of your health because you know that that's my main goal for you um, so that you can be your best advocate for your health. And, um, and because this is just such a common issue that I see, I see so many people come to me with PCOS and just metabolic issues in general. I knew that I had to have Danny on. She's amazing. Um, I've been on her podcast before too. We've talked about birth control. So definitely go check out her podcast. Um, she's got a lot of great stuff on there. And if you guys enjoy this episode, please, 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 uh, give us a rating, give us a review. That means so much. And it's just another way that, um, we are able to get this pot, this podcast out to people. So thank you in advance. And I will see you guys next week. Woo! Jump!